0: Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. All right. You are watching Tax Tuesday or listening to Tax Tuesday or somehow taking in Tax Tuesday. This is Toby Mathis. And Jeff Webb. And we're here to bring tax knowledge to the masses. And boy, there's a lot of tax lack of knowledge going around out there right now, our politicians. All right, Tax Tuesday rules, let's jump in. We've got a lot to go over. First off, you can ask your questions live. I ask that you do that in the tax and answer area because we have Accountants and tax professionals standing by to answer them. So we have Elliot Thomas, Dana Cummings, Tavia Harder. I don't know if Pio is here, but uh, but we'll get there. Is Pio there, Patty? You tell me. Yes. Okay. Oh, yes, he, is. he is. Oh my gosh. So we have like tax attorneys, accountants, bookkeepers galore. So you can ask your questions. Ask it in the uh, question and answer area. You can also, if you have technical issues or if you're responding to me, if I'm having a conversation with you, or if you just have spontaneous questions, throw them up, like if something we're covering and you want clarifying questions, use chat. So if you have a question about you, use the question answer. If you have questions about the subject that we're on, by all means, uh, ask it in chat. Oh, Christos is on too, he's so quiet, he just sneaks by. You guys got some horsepower on today, so we're like, ready to rock it. And so I already see that they're answering some questions. I probably won't even get to see it. Just as a side today, could everybody let me know where they're from in chat? Just put what city and state you're in, or if you just want to pick a city or just a state. I always like looking at it. So Anchorage, Long Beach, Miami, Florida, Florida, Tucson, Arizona, Colorado, Ashburn, Virginia, Titusville, Florida, Oregon, Texas, San Jose, California, Scottsdale, Minnesota, San Bruno, uh, Kapolei, Seattle, Snellville, Sacramento, Oregon, McMinnville, New York, Maui. Gosh, we got them flying through here. Las Vegas, Middletown, Prescott, Fairfax, Virginia, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Burien, Washington. I went to Kennedy High School, Kai. So I was right there with you. Kansas, Evans, Wenatchee, somebody's over there in Wenatchee, it's a beautiful town. Chicago, so we have people from all over the country. There's in Orlando, Evans, Kansas, Honolulu. Wish we were in Honolulu. Mm. We should start to Palm Desert, California. Beautiful place. You used to live there? I used to have a place in Palm Desert for about 20 years, and Clint and I did, which meant Clint had a place in <laughs> Palm Desert, because I was like, I already live in a desert. Why am I going to go there? Hanukkah, uh, I can. How do you say that? Anokae. There we go. Anokae. And New Jersey. I can show you how much of a... Uh, what would they call you in Hawaii? But I'm not going to say it because it'll probably <laughs> yeah. get me in trouble now. <laughs> South Dartmouth. Brooklyn, New York. We got people from all over the place. St. Paul. Uh, yeah, it's Minnesota, but it says Missouri. Music City, USA. So we got people from all over. I just never really asked that on... On the uh, tax Tuesdays. And here, guys, Wisconsin, Uh, we do this every other Tuesday. You can invite your friends, ask any questions they want. It's tax season. We'll throw in there a little bit of tax policy tonight because we have some going on that's out there in the press. And I like to clarify certain things that get misstated, you know, and we like to, you know, make sure that everybody knows as much as humanly possible so you can make independent decisions. Manteca, Baytown, Los Angeles, Ruby. We got people from just all over the place. We're so lucky. We are. Yeah. And it's so out oh, in New Orleans. New Orleans, Louisiana. My brother lives in Slidell. So Wayne, right across the bridge from New Orleans. His another garden district's gorgeous. And I like Blue Dog. All right. We say it's fast, fun, and educational. It's meant to, to give back and educate. We don't charge a dime for answering questions. If you get real specific, we might ask that you become a client so we can dig into things for you. Our packages are really inexpensive. You can become a uh, platinum member, for example, as low as $35 a month. We can answer your questions in writing. You can talk to attorneys and our advisors at ad nauseum if you want to, but we can answer your tax questions in writing or you can become a full-fledged tax client. That's not why we do this. We do this just to spread out information. We have accountants on here, CPAs. We love to share. A lot of times I get stumped. Every now and again, Jeff gets stumped and somebody comes to our rescue that's out there and says, by the way, I'm looking at it right now, guys. Here's the site. So uh, we make sure it's a good community. So we learn as much uh, as as you guys. I was thinking about that today. As uh, we grab the questions, we get about 400 questions a week And we grab a 10, 15 and uh, answer them live. And I'm looking at it going, "Boy, it's making me dig into things that I might not otherwise dig into. And so uh, it helps me out too. I don't know if it helps you out. No, absolutely. Jeff's been doing this a little longer than me. He's like, "Ah, I got this stuff. Then we just go through them live. So here's the questions we're gonna be answering today. When you have a PLLC, how do you know what goes on a personal or business card? We'll answer that, assuming that it's a credit card or a. I don't think it means like a business like a business card. <laughs> business card. I was thinking about that. Business card, personal card. How do I go about transferring stock options to a five hundred one c three before selling to avoid capital gains? Somebody out there has been paying attention. Uh, how do you claim the solar credit on your personal residence? I think we answered that a few weeks back too. But hey, sometimes it comes up. Should I file a return with my kids as dependents, or should they file their own return if they are paid from a family business? We'll go through all these. I'm remodeling two bedrooms to turn my home into a rental. Can I count the remodeling as tax write-off?
1: But they're doing bathrooms.
0: They're doing bathrooms.
1: Call them bedrooms.
0: Oh, did I say bedrooms? Bathrooms, it shows you. It's out there in the ether. (laughs) How does one, I should look down and actually read it from here, but I like reading out in the distance. How does one pay into a 401k from an LLC? If I bought an investment property under my name, when could I transfer it into an LLC without the bank pulling my note on the house? Which way should you report rental income as a business or as an individual owning the property? We'll answer all of these. What is a reasonable age to start paying your child for work and open a Roth IRA for? Mm -hmm. These are really good questions. So you're gonna get your money's worth today. It's free, right? I have a rental property in California. When I go there to work on it, can I use per diem? plus mileage rather than actual receipts for housing and meals. We'll dissect that for you. Can you describe S corporation non-taxable distributions or dividends? Absolutely. I haven't done taxes for 2020 and I'd like to know how to write off bills for my emotional support animal. And very common nowadays, uh, can that be uh, done together with business taxes? And so we'll dive into that. There's actually some specific rules on that. That's very interesting. Some of you guys are writing up there We'll talk to you. There's, oh, some people got in the book from Amazon. So if you guys didn't know, we have uh, Infinity Investing came out today and uh, it's already number one on personal finance on Amazon. Thank you. And uh, we're going to be spreading that word out. You know, we sit there and we, we look at tax returns for decades. We've been looking at tax returns and there's so many people out there full of so much poop and they tell you that they're making money and they're not really making money. And then there's the people that never tell you that they're making money and they're actually making lots of money and they tend to do it all in the same ways. And so we're gonna talk about that. Now, before we get into that, we're gonna talk about our uh, what's going on right now in politics. No, so we're not gonna talk politics. We're gonna talk about the proposal to increase certain types of tax. We've talked about it before, and this is apolitical. I don't care about what side of the aisle you're on, but what we want is to make sure that you have the most clear view of what these proposals mean. And quite often politicians, they may be getting pushed in a direction from their party and maybe getting misinformed. And so I always look at it and say, if your intention is to do X, what's the most efficient way to get to get there? And one of the things that they're talking about is this increase in corporate taxation. Now, I happen to be a believer in less is more that when we lower the corporate tax rate, we tend to do a little bit better. And I think that worked its way out. There was a business roundtable that, that came to that same conclusion. Uh, before this pandemic, our unemployment was at its lowest rate in 50 years. So I I tend to think, why are we going back and messing this up? But just for clarity, when they say they want to increase taxation on businesses to make them pay their fair share, keep in mind that businesses in the last umpteen years, they pay less than 8% of the total taxes in this country, less than 8%. It's a minuscule amount, we're talking about a drop in the bucket. And even if you were to increase this, let's say you were to double it and somehow the businesses all went along and said, you know what? We're gonna pay twice as much tax. You've increased your taxes by about 8%. Who pays taxes? We do, employees do, right? People that pay the self-employment tax, the old age disability, hospital insurance and mm-hmm. survivors benefits, Medicare, that's actually 33% of the taxes collected, about 55% is individual income taxes. So between those two things, you're talking about a huge amount. And if you wanted to adjust it, I'm all for it. Go for those, like over that $400,000 hump, I could see that, but I don't know why they're picking on the, the companies. And here's the biggest reason. This was just a something from the center of public integrity, not a far right, maybe could be closer to a left, but. What is absolutely reality is that when you pack in a corporate tax, it is one of the few items that a utility gets to pass on to its customers. And I want that to sink in for for a second. The customers pay the tax. So if they increase the corporate tax rate, what happens to all of the least wealthy amongst us? And there's been studies that show that this pandemic hit the poor much harder than the rich. What is it gonna do to the poorest among us tax bills or utility bills, it's gonna increase it. Just like when they lowered the corporate tax rate, it led to lower rates amongst the consumers. And it's not huge, it's like five bucks a month. I think it was in, speaking as somebody said they're from New Orleans. So I was was thinking about New Orleans. I know that number was $4.10 a month is what the average utility bill was decreased. So it's not massive amounts, it's 50 bucks a year. But who does 50 bucks a year matter to? Yeah, and somebody says that maybe so, but, but so many of the largest pay zero in tax. That's because when you make there when there's such a disincentive to report your taxes in the United States, mm-hmm. like, like there's such a punitive tax bill, which we were the highest amongst all industrial countries, and we would be back there again if we jumped up to 28%, just to give you an idea. That gives the Amazons, the Apples, and all these companies of the world the idea to go someplace else where they don't pay that tax. You have to make it to where, hey, you know what? It's not worth it for you to go through all that mess. Why don't you stay here and, you know, and pay a little bit of tax so you don't have to go do all this maneuvering? Because there is that, the higher it goes, the more incentive you're giving to somebody to find ways to defeat it. And so I always kind of look at it and say, look, why, why, why are we goofing around with things when I don't believe it's actually gonna do what you intend? The increase in the self-employment tax in, the, uh, in FICA, Social Security, all of those increases, over a $400,000 mark, I get it, absolutely. If you want to increase the highest tax bracket, I get it, but I don't understand why you're going after a business that doesn't, you know, really corporations don't pay their own taxes. All you're doing is hitting the workers. And they have showed that that for every dollar of tax decrease, there's about $2 of extra employment. And so I just look at that going, gosh, are we really fit figuring this? And again, I just say for mine food, be a little bit of a skeptic on it by all means, don't listen to me and say what he said, you know, go out there and actually research it yourself and take a look. But uh, that's just another idea because you're not hearing too much about that. And I just look at it and say, is there a way that it could hammer the people that could least afford it? Absolutely. What's going on, oh, and by the way, one of the reasons why the utilities, why the bills didn't lower further is because when they lowered the, the corporate tax rate, they took away utilities' ability to use bonus depreciation. That meant that not as much tax savings went to the consumers because they weren't able to write off all their equipment and everything fast. So there were, uh, it wasn't as big a tax break. So even though people's utility bills went down a little bit, it wasn't as big as it could have been. But if they increase it, are they going to readjust that and allow bonus depreciation amongst the utilities? And that's a big no right now, which means it could actually go up much more then what we saw is a decrease uh, after 2017 so anyway enough of that nonsense you guys get to research and make your own opinions and that's that's beautiful the american way but i just want to make sure that we're considering all angles just cuz sometimes we think we're doing something that's going to affect the rich trust me the rich have really really good accountants and lawyers and if there's a way to defeat something they will find it and so you need to be a little bit tighter i'd be i'd be looking at more on the consumption side, let's just put it that way. All right, let's go and dive into this. When you have a PLLC, how do you know what goes on a personal or business card? This not only
1: applies to PLLCs, but any business. If you have a business uh, credit card, that's great, but I know a lot of the credit card companies aren't willing to issue to new small businesses. So you use a personal credit card, My preference is you use that personal credit card only for that business. It makes it cleaner. That way you deduct everything that's on there. You deduct the interest if should there be any, if you're not paying it off monthly. But yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Once you have start having some mixed use on a personal card, you're paying some expenses. Personally, Mm -hmm. it gets very confusing. The interest calculations get crazy, uh, but... You just wanna be able to separate those expenses between personal and business.
0: And and let's get kind of technical on this. When you see PLLC, that just means a limited liability company and that P stands for professional and not all states have a PLLC. So just substitute PLLC for LLC if it makes you feel better. I'll even just write it up there. It just means it's a professional. So it could be a lawyer, engineer, doctor's office. It just depends on the state. And an LLC is not a tax vehicle. So an LLC does, isn't a tax form. For example, it could be a partnership, it could be a sole proprietorship, it could be an S corp, it could be a C corp for tax purposes. But that LLC just means the entity in which the business is held. And so then the big question is: Should I be writing any personal expenses, groceries, my personal utilities, my personal expenses, and would I should I be writing them on a on a business card? And the answer is. No, anything that's personal needs to stay with you. Even if you incur personal expenses that are for the benefit of an employer. Like for example, if I have a a home office, if I have an administrative office in my home, it's even better. And the company is gonna reimburse you for that usage. You should still be paying that individually and then reimburse and then reimburse. Somebody asks, is a limited the same as an LLC? Kind of, yeah, it's still just a state entity and then we're gonna choose how it's gonna be taxed. So an LTD might be the same as a corporation in some states, it might be treated as an LLC and you pick its tax, but it's similar concept. When you're using a business card, you're, going to, you're, you're using it for what are called section 162 expenses for the most part, which is ordinary and necessary business expenses. So it's something that you in, use in your business to derive a profit. So you're trying to use it so you can generate new customers, you're using it for your services, you're using it for things that are related to that business for the express purpose of operating that business with the intent to make some sort of profit. And uh, once you start doing that, then you realize, hey, the things that go on that business card should only be things that relate directly to that business. If you are in that, like, should I be paying for these groceries crowd? That goes personal. Like if in doubt, buy it personally and reimburse yourself rather than using the business card. It's not like it's your company's gonna blow up, but if you're buying a whole bunch of personal expenses and you're mixing them, that's called alter ego. And the, the easiest way to explain that is the amount of respect you show your business is the amount of respect the IRS or a court will likely show your business. And if you're using a business card and you're paying for your kids Soccer shoes or lessons or whatever, and you're, when you're going and buying groceries and you know you're taking your spouse out to dinner that has nothing to do with business and you're just constantly using it for that, expect that the IRS or the courts aren't going to give you a great deal of respect and may treat the business as you, and that's what you want to be careful to you know to not allow.
1: Yeah, I find that to be a really slippery slope that oh, like just this one time I need to get like this card. Then it happens again, and then, oh, I'm going to pay it back, and it never
0: happens. Uh, If in doubt, use your personal. Use your personal card. And then we'll we'll do a reimbursement. But try not to use your business for like, oh, this one time I'll use it to buy, God knows I've seen enough stuff that goes on. there. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, they're buying a bunch of booze or something. I'm like, well, I didn't have any space on my card. I'm like... (laughs) Yeah. All right. Somebody wrote about the previous issue that utility rates in Northern California and eastern Texas went up. Yep. They took away certain aspects of deductibility and gave a tax break on some. So they offset in some some places the cost of energy still is increasing. It's it's always going up. In fact, if you looked at it, it's on a continuous chain upward, right? Energy prices have not come down. It's just if all things being equal it ended up in a small reduction over over the period of time after they uh, after they lowered the taxes cuz like utilities are a monopoly and they're heavily regulated and there's only certain things they can pass on to customers cuz could you imagine if they said hey we're going to pass on our our outside business endeavors to the customers as an expense well, they're a monopoly. You got nothing else to do. It's like they could just start tacking in all their investments. They're not allowed to do that as a result. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what gets kind of funny is some of these companies were putting aside, like they, they were charging their customers for the tax, but then they would do outside ventures that were creating losses. And so they didn't actually owe the tax, but they had collected it. So there was these millions and millions of dollars sitting in some of these utilities on their balance sheets. And everybody's going like, hmm. And they're like, but we're oh, the tax on it but we got a big deduction over here. And if you know, Jeff and I like to to play around in the tax world, real estate's a great example. You could go very little out of pocket and create a big loss. Eventually you gotta pay it, right? So there was a bunch of that stuff that went on. If you're a tax geek, you can dive into that stuff. If you're not, you'll be happier. (laughs) Just go about life and smile a little bit and say, hey, it's not as easy as what they're saying. All right, how do I go about transferring stock options into a 501c3 before selling to avoid all capital gains? Jeff, could you tell them, like, what are they looking at here? Why would they do this?
1: When I first looked at this question, I didn't realize they were talking about stock options. I'm not sure that you would want to transfer stock options into a, a 501c3, but let, let's just say that they're stocks, they're securities. The main reason you wanna do this is you wanna do it with appreciated stocks. You don't pay any tax on the gains. Say you bought it for hundred dollars, and now it's worth ten thousand dollars. You don't have to cash those in. And we've seen it where clients have cashed in a lot of stock and then tried to transfer it to a nonprofit, and it's cost them greatly.
0: So what Jeff is talking about is let's say that you have a company ABC, and I'm going to put FMV, which stands for fair market value. That's what its value is today. So let's say it's worth hundred bucks. What a lot of people are tempted to do is to sell it, and they sell. And so they have $100 that comes in, they subtract off their basis, so they have $90 of gain. Versus if this has been held for over a year, you could take that $100 stock and give it to charity, in which case you have zero gain, but you have a $100 deduction. So you have zero tax due and you get a deduction. So quite often when somebody has an appreciated asset, we tell them, Don't sell it and give that to charity. Give the asset to charity.
1: Now, I actually went online to my Where I Trade, and uh, I'm sure most of the brokerage houses are like this. It's very easy to do this. The one I use, it had a page for donating to a charity. And you Mm -hmm. go in, say, I want to donate who the charity is and what their account number is and so forth. I've done it. And as long as they have a brokerage account, the 501c3, pretty easy to do.
0: Yeah, we had to do that on some stock that, Forgot that we'd had and it ran up. We'd had it for close to twenty years, had almost no basis in it, and it was the same situation. You're just like, do I really want to pay tax on this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna dump it. It was, at, it was that it was peaking, and I said, ah, you know what? Let's sell it. But I don't really want to pay tax on it. I don't want the money, so give it to the charity. In order for the charity to take it, the charity had to open up a brokerage account with the same institution, and then we just transferred it over. It was actually fairly, fairly easy to do the transfer. The hardest part was opening up the brokerage account in the in the nonprofit, it's a little bit of paperwork.
1: So they're they're talking they've mentioned stock options. I can't see it doing it for options that you purchase on the market. If it's options that you've got from an employer that may be a little different.
0: Well, it's funny you say that. So whenever I see options, I always think if it's an employee incentive. So incentive stock option and then you have what is it? Non
1: non-qualified options.
0: Non-qualified then there's your typical qualified options which is US companies but the non-qualified if it's an employee it all comes down to what is the value when you receive it and did the employee exercise it and is there transfer rights. So let's say that I have an, an incentive stock option if I work at an employer long enough so let's say I let's say I work at ABC and I'm an executive. The company is is on the public market and it's worth 25 bucks and I have options at 25 bucks, but I can't exercise them for what, two or three years, I have to stay employed. So let's say that the company is now worth 50 bucks and I know that if I were to exercise it, that I have a taxable event because Mm -hmm. the option is worth less than the fair market value. I would have to recognize that difference in income. So I think maybe I'll give it to Charity, so that when I have worked long enough, I will be able to exercise it and not have to worry about the tax hit. Because if the company goes up to 100 bucks, it would be really severe on me to exercise that stock option. I'm gonna have a lot of of income. You can't do that, right? You're not allowed to do that because you are now putting your work into the nonprofit. In other words, I'm not gonna be able to do that because it's not something that's ripe yet. I need to have the ability to exercise it in order for it to actually be doable. Even on the non-qualified options, it's tough. If it's tied to an employee agreement, again, what you're looking at is let's say that same scenario, it's worth 50 bucks, I had the option at 25. I have income between 25 and 50 bucks that I'm gonna have to recognize regardless of whether I give it to the charity. I believe under those circumstances, they would say whenever the charity sells it, you have to rec or exercises the option, assuming it's Mm -hmm. transferable. You're going to have to recognize that $15 difference between your strike price and the fair market value when you receive it.
1: So these ISOs, these incentive stock options, let's say that you have exercised those options, you're going to have a very low cost in those options in particular. Mm-hmm. However, you have to hold them for a year before you can do anything with them.
0: Otherwise, your basis is going to be like the, you're,
1: you're going. To, it's going to be a tactical situation.
0: If I transfer stock that I've held for less than a year. To a charity, they're going to treat it just like a cash transfer.
1: So you exercise them, hold them for a year and a day, then transfer them to your nonprofit or wherever it is. Yeah,
0: and then if you if you do it a year and a day, then it's the fair market value, not the basis, and your deduction is limited to thirty percent of your adjusted gross income, as mm-hmm. opposed to usually sixty percent or fifty percent. This year, it's cash donations are one hundred percent. I think this would be a non cash. I'm doing an options probably sixty uh, percent, but. Does that sound confusing, by the way? This is why you look at the type of option. What you know, it, It's not as easy as saying, hey, can I transfer option? But let's say that I have leaps. Let's say that I bought two-year options on Tesla and they go up in value. That I could transfer to charity. That, if I've held it over a year, would be its fair market value on the date of transfer. If I haven't owned it for a year, then I could transfer that in there, but it's my basis. So if I paid $30,000 for some options, and it's worth 40, I'm getting a $30,000 deduction. If I waited a year and it's worth 40,000, I get a $40,000 deduction. My only limitation is it's 30% of my adjusted gross income.
1: Let's say they're not leaps, that they are short-term. Do you think they would have to be so far deep into the money that?
0: I think you're still less than a year, so they're gonna treat it as a non, it'll be a non. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so it's gonna still be.
1: So good point. All of these, this, this whole appreciated stock thing, that it, it, it has to be long-term capital gains.
0: Yeah, in, in the first year, it's all gonna be your basis regardless. When it's over a year, then it's the fair market value. And by the way, this works on houses and other things too. So if you have a piece of property you've had for 20 years or 30 years and you're like, oh, I've depreciated it, I don't know what to do with it. Sometimes just give it to charity. Your own charity is great or somebody else's, but. It's gonna be the fair market value. And yes, it's limited to 30% of your adjusted gross income, but some of you guys make a lot of money. Like somebody's making a million bucks a year and they're sitting on some old house and looking at it, it's like, yeah, you're in California. You're gonna get about, you know, almost 50 cents on the dollar just for the the gift. And you're gonna make somebody's day. All right, if you like this sort of stuff, you can always come to our tax and asset protection workshops. You just go to our website at Anderson Advisors. You can sign up, they're absolutely free. The next tax and asset protection event is coming up on April 24th. It's gonna be taught by myself and Clint Coons. Assuming Clint can get his computer to work in Hawaii. He's gonna be over there probably drinking too much. And we always do the tax and asset protection events. Actually, he'll he'll be fine. I'll be early in the morning for him. So I don't think I have to worry about him. If it was in the afternoon, I'd be worried because he likes those Mai Tais, right? So anyway, so we'll be teaching another one April 24th. Again, absolutely free feel free to register. Uh, We do send out a recording if you're not able to be there for the whole thing. We always make sure that it's easy for you to get on, digest the information and they are full of everything from how to structure your real estate, your stock trading, your business. We look at it from an asset protection standpoint and we look at it from a tax standpoint, we look at it from a legacy planning standpoint. Last but not least, we look at it from a business standpoint, making sure that you don't mess yourself up. All right. See if there's any questions rolling out there. Where do I find a good bank for my solo 401k? I think Christos is answering that. I would say go to, go, go to Schwab is where we open up most of ours or TD Ameritrade. Let's see. Does it
1: matter if you're taking uh, hard assets into the 401k?
0: Not really. Like if I was taking real estate or something and it doesn't matter, I, I, I'm okay having a Schwab account with check writing and, and debit card capabilities, it's better than a bank in my mind. Right now, uh, savings is, the interest rates are so low. Money markets are low, but they're a little bit better. If we're talking about those, like they're, they're in the toilet, every, every, all interest rates are in the toilet right now. They probably will be. Let's see if there's anything else. No, you guys are pretty good. Schwab bot, TD Ameritrade, yep. Schwab, TD Ameritrade's, where we have, uh, I think Think thinkorswim is in that same category. Some places are tough because they want to have minimums. And so if you're rolling over a 401k or you're starting a 401k, it's kind of tough if you haven't funded it yet. And they say the minimum of 50 grand is sometimes tough. All right, solar credit. How do you claim a solar credit on your personal residence? This is
1: fairly simple. It's done, I believe the form is 56.95. Look right there. Wow, yeah, I got it right. And you can see in the first couple of lines, it talks about the different types of Mm -hmm. renewable energy. You put your solar, Mm
0: -hmm. amount of
1: solar that you bought, it multiplies it times 0.26 and you're virtually done.
0: Yep, and you say 0.26, it it was 30% from 2017, 2018, 2019, went to 26%, actually it was gonna go down to 22% this year, but they extended it. So it's 26% and it's the cost of the install and the equipment itself. It's solar power, geothermal heat pumps, I'm looking at a list, small wind turbines, fuel cell property, solar electric collecting roofs and roof products, solar power storage, some installation and in in, in, in costs. And this is different than if you were a landlord putting it on your property, although they're the same tax credit. What's the difference between a tax credit and a deduction?
1: Deduction goes against your income. So if it's a $20,000 deduction, you have 100,000 income. Lows your income down to 80,000. A credit goes against your tax. So if that's the same- 100, Dollar for dollar. If that same $100,000 income has uh, mm-hmm. $20,000 of tax on it, then that credit is gonna go directly against that tax to reduce your tax.
0: Yeah, so if I have $100,000 of income and I get a $10,000 deduction, it just means that I'm gonna pay tax on 90,000. If I have a $10,000 tax credit, then we take that hundred we calculate how much tax, let's say I owe $15,000 of tax at the end of the day, and I get a $10,000 credit, so I'd only owe $5,000 after that. So credits worth substantially more than a tax deduction. Mm -hmm. So when you see tax credit, go like this, how do I get it? How do I get that? And uh, yeah, the same thing holds true for if you're a landlord, it's a different code provision, I think it's 48, but the provision there, you still get a 26% tax credit, but you could also depreciate the fair market value minus half of the tax credit that you took. So if you took a, let's say we put $100,000 worth of solar on our tenant roofs, and we're gonna lease, we're gonna get the electricity money coming in too, which is not a bad idea. We'd get a $26,000 tax credit, plus we'd get to write off $87,000. And under section 168K, which is the bonus depreciation code section, we could just write that whole thing off in year one, like boom, I have an eighty-seven thousand dollar deduction. I have a twenty-six thousand dollar tax credit, and I might be paying over time, but I have enough money coming in to cover that payment. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be uh, looking pretty good under that. I'm always surprised that more people don't do that.
1: I'm a little surprised that I have not heard anything about them
0: increasing this credit. I keep thinking they're gonna do it. I keep I, waiting for it, and I'm way. like, like if you want solar, here's what you do with solar: a, you make it to where we can actually put it up on the roof without getting molested by the the governing agencies, right? It's tough. If you're in California, you might be waiting a, a year or two years to get solar on a roof, right? If, uh, in, So make it easier, make it a little more transparent. There's a lot of companies out there, You know, m- mm-hmm. make sure that consumers aren't getting ripped.
1: I see Tesla's doing it now.
0: Tesla is kicking com- some, some tush. And by the way, if you had a Tesla roof and you were in Houston during that freeze, you were just fine. <laughs> like they, they actually showed the rooftops and yeah, that didn't stay up on the on those roofs. They melted right off, and uh, they were providing energy throughout that whole rigmarole. So Tesla's pretty cool. It comes with the battery pack, the storage, so you can you can store it up and survive for a, a while without even having the solar. But yeah, I would I would give more incentives. If you want more of something, incentivize it. So the tax credit's great, but make it a little more juicy. So so landlords go out and do it. Could you imagine that if they made it so appealing to landlords? that like landlords are like, you're, you're crazy not to put so- solar on your properties. Right. But then you have to deal with all the utilities, going back to the utilities again, and the way that they treat it, whether you could sell it back. Can foreign property treated as U.S. property get the solar credit? Foreign property treated as U.S. property. If it's in the U.S. and it's U.S. taxpayers, you get the solar credit. I don't believe it works if it's outside the-
1: Yeah, if you're meaning foreign owned property, yeah, you should be getting the credit.
0: So let's say that you have it in another country, you believe you're able to get no, the credit? I don't believe that's the case. Right, right, so it, it's US, I think it's US, but I'm, I don't know, I have to look at it. Good question, and you could submit your questions at Tax Tuesday at Anderson Advisors, and you could, uh, you could just submit that in, and that'll give us the, the hint to go search it up. Bill Meyer waited 1131 days to get solar. Did he actually get it? Last time I, I heard he was still waiting. <laughs> I'm opening an UGMA for my children, 10, 11, and 13. What are the tax consequences? Okay, we'll look at that one in a second. There's, somebody's gonna answer that. All right, this is a great question. Should I file a return with my kids as dependents or should they file their own return if they're paid from a family business? What do you think, Jeff?
1: I know my opinion on this is if they are dependents, meaning they are not supporting themselves or at least have mm-hmm. their support, they're still dependent on your return. Now they can file their own return and probably have to file their own
0: return. And they still get the standard deduction?
1: They get the standard deduction up to the amount of their earned income. Is, I think, it, what is it, $600? It, it's is earned
0: income? income plus $300. Okay. So if you pay your children 5,000 bucks, then it's 5,300 up to the standard deduction. Standard deduction is what? 12,400 mm-hmm. this year, 12,200 last year. It's over 12 grand, so you would they're not gonna pay any tax on. It. This is why we pay our kids, guys. They're still a dependent, but they get to have tax-free income. And where would you put that? Riddle me this. They have income that they don't have to pay tax on. It's active income. Where should you put it, parents? A Roth IRA. I'll just do... <laughs> you're like looking over here at heat pumps. I can see you. You're gonna put it in a Roth IRA. That's exactly right. Under the mattress. Don't put it under the mattress. <laughs> We're gonna put it in a Roth IRA. And the reason being is because you can get the money out at any time you want, with I know, I'm just teasing you. She says under the mattress and I, I'll tell you a real life story I have a minister client, an older gentleman of their church had passed away and they went to help the family. It was like grandpa lived on his own. They went to help the family clean out the house and the, 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 the family said, you could just take it all to charity take it all, all the furniture and everything else. So they go get his mattress and the mattress weighs a ton. And they're like, what the heck? This thing's so heavy. And then they hear clinking. It was stuffed with cash and gold and silver. And so they just had a huge party. I'm just kidding. I I said to him, so did you think, did did it go through your head that they gave it to you or did you think, no, he's like, no, 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 no. This guy had a, he, he just stuffed everything in there. It was it was about 300,000, if I remember right, of, uh, of, of gold <coughs> in cash. So if you ever have an older relative that passes, look through the refrigerators, here's a hint. Look through the house a little bit. <laughs> Some people, they do keep it under the mattress. Some people like it in the freezer. A lot, the freezer's a big one. Under, there's there's been people that had it underneath the floorboards. We've seen it all, but they put it in in, in odd places and people will never know. We had a guy that had a, a safe full, had over a million bucks in it. Yep. That's not what the Fed says there's no inflation. Yeah, why not? Yeah. So you don't, yes. Um, the Fed says there's no inflation. Oh, well, it wasn't a oh, mattress. Oh, oh, the inflation. Fed. Don't fight the Fed. Yeah, somebody says uh, Bill Meyer got it approved, got it in, good. I know that he was griping about that for a long time, but it was, it was a little tough. And you gotta have three or four guys come out there remember that, they look at your at your proposal. All right, so you can file your kids as dependents and they, they pay earned income. There's no kiddie tax when you have earned income. How old can they be, somebody asked. There's cases where the court has agreed with compensation paid to seven-year-olds that were helping their parents with property management. So it's not an age issue if they're your children. If I remember right, You can't have your kids working in mining, around saws, doing demolition work, doing things that are inherently dangerous, but you could have them working in your business if they're family members. And there's no age limitation. In the court cases, I've seen seven-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. And every single time it comes down to, are they able to do the task in which they're being compensated for? And so uh, in every single one of them that I've seen, the taxpayer won, like the IRS was looking at it and they overcame the burden by, by producing records. So you just wanna make sure you have some timesheets or something that says, here's what they're doing. And if you do that, you put it in a Roth IRA. And the Roth IRA is like a savings plan. I can always take that money back out of the Roth. Where I have to be careful is let's say I put $5,000 in a Roth and it doubles. The growth is what I have to wait a period of years for, five years to avoid the penalties on, on early withdrawal. Somebody says, what's the minimum age again? Again, we've seen it as low as seven. There's not a hard and fast rule. Just make sure they can do something. And if you're gonna open up a Roth IRA, understand that they cannot, cannot open their own until they are 18. So you're gonna have to open up a custodial IRA for them. All right. Oh, there's infinity. Yay. And this is what I like to circle. So we were number one in new releases today. Thank you again. We did, uh, we're doing well with that one. What we like to do is just spread the word. It's not a big money maker. There are publishers out there that like we publish through Forbes, but we're not trying to sell millions. We just try to get the the word out of how not to get ripped off. Somebody says, I had a friend who paid his one-year-old. He took a picture paid it as a model. Yeah, there's actually a case on that where it was SAG rates, the Screen Actors Guild rates, so they can actually get paid. So that's pretty awesome. David, thank you for sharing that. Is the solar credit only for brand new solar products? I don't believe so. I think it's any solar that you put up on your roof. I don't think yeah, they but
1: have. That would, uh, Wouldn't that be brand new?
0: I, is there used solar?
1: I've never heard of used solar. Yeah, I don't know. So if you're talking about buying a house that already has solar on it, you don't get the credit for
0: that. Somebody asks, please clarify, kids do not need to file returns correct, even if they are paid $12,000. You don't have to file a return if you don't have taxes owed, right? So, they wouldn't have to file a return under those circumstances. I have rental property in California. When I go there to work on it, I can use per diem plus mileage rather than actual receipts for housing and meals. Jeffrey.
1: This is going to be one of those it depends answer. If you're doing it through as a self employed person or you have the rentals owned personally, you cannot use the per diem for housing. You mm-hmm. can use it for meals but you have to be an employee to use per diem.
0: Yeah, so I think it's, what is it? If more than 10%, no housing. Mm -hmm. So if you own more than 10% of the company, they're going to say, hey, you're an owner. You can't use the per diem for housing, but for meals, you can. And one of the reasons you can is because I think it's capped at about $75 a day. And technically you don't have to have a uh, receipt for meals if it's under 75 bucks a day.
1: So it is still subject to the 50% limitation. Unless. Unless.
0: There's a 100% meal depreciation that just came out at the end of the year for using restaurants. And even if you order out mm. at a restaurant. So it's temporary. It's under the, uh, it was passed the last week of December. So you guys are all dealing with 2020. Right. So for 2021, there is an exception for this year that you can write off 100% of meals as long as it's at a restaurant so they're trying to push it
1: per diem works a little funny the way it works is say it's let's say it's eighty dollars i know mm-hmm. you said seventy five dollars but it's eighty dollars a day for meals on your first day of travel you only get half that on your last day of half travel you only get half that
0: oh boo
1: so if it, you're doing a three-day trip you're gonna get what eighty hundred and sixty dollars of meals
0: mm-hmm. yes sorry somebody's asking a question about the kids again. What is the age limit to pay your child up to 25-year-old? There is no limit. You could be paying a child if they're working for your company until they're 150. Do you have to pay run payroll? And somebody's asking about self-employment tax. So if you're running, if you're paying them as an employee, if you're paying them through a corporation, you're going to have unemployment and and withholding and, and social security and Medicare withholdings and employment taxes. If you pay them through a disregarded LLC, or if one of the parents has a sole proprietorship, or if the parents have a partnership and you pay them through there, then you do not have to pay employment taxes. So if there is a partnership in your structure, you'd pay them through the partnership. If there is an LLC that's disregarded, you pay them through that. If you don't have those and you pay them through the corporation, you pay a little bit of tax, but just keep in mind that you're putting that money into their social security account. Like they're gonna get, some of that back, assuming that social security makes it, they would still get that. Let's keep plugging along. Can you describe S corporation non-taxable distributions or dividends?
1: So S corps don't have dividends. They don't pay dividends. They pay distribution. And those are normally not taxed because you're being taxed on the income of the S corporation.
0: You pay regardless.
1: So let's say I make $100,000 in my S corporation, that's gonna be my taxable income, regardless of how much gets distributed to me. Mm-hmm. Now, the one time you will have distributions taxable is if you distribute more than you have basis in your S corporation, then it gets taxed as capital gains.
0: That'd be really tough to do. I guess if, 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 I, if you had multiple S corp owners and somebody wasn't at risk,
1: yeah. Sometimes we see it where we will have an S corporation, they'll go out and get a loan mm-hmm. and they'll start taking distributions. Well, that loan they got from the bank doesn't give them basis to their S corporation. Unless
0: it's a loan to them and then they have contributed. Yes. then you could increase the basis. It's one of those nuances that if you're ever looking at getting lending with an S corp, you may want to be on the hook personally, like it has to come to you and then you could contribute it to the S corp, it's like weird nuance. You can't the S corp can't have it, and you guarantee it, and still be part of basis.
1: Yeah, almost the exact opposite is true in a partnership. Yep. But with S corporation, they want you to be the the lender.
0: Mm-hmm. It's kind of funky. So what Jeff said is is just to clarify: S corporations they don't pay tax; they pass it down to their shareholders, regardless of whether you take distributions or not. So that's why they say non-taxable distributions. What happens is if the company makes $100,000 and leaves it in there, it doesn't matter, you're gonna pay tax on the 100,000 if you're the sole owner. Same thing is the next year, let's say it breaks even and you take 100,000 out, you think, I just took 100,000 out, it's non-taxable. No, you paid the tax, you just paid it in the last year.
1: And sometimes we hear that complaint about phantom income. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they're talking about. My company made a lot of money, but I didn't see a dime of it
0: personally. Well, think about this. if it, Let's say that you are running a company and you have a whole bunch of meals that are 50%. So let's just say that you're bringing in meals to the office and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's 50% deductible. So you spent $30,000 during the year and there's no money left in it. And you, you're going to get hit with 15,000, half of that as income to you. And you're gonna say, wait a second, but there's no money. And, and your accountant's gonna say, mm. half deductible. You, know, you were really nice to your employees, but that pizza ain't free, right? You gotta pay the piper. All right, let's see if there's any questions rolling around there. Somebody says, I received my copy of Infinity Investing. Let me know how you like it, please. And uh, don't pull punches. Took a couple years to write that and four years of doing the research and preparing for it. So it wasn't done on a whim just want to make sure that we're reaching people and share it if, if you think it's good. If you have a short-term rental property that you furnished and ran a cost segregation study on and it out, and then you decided a year or two later that you want to move into the property, is there a timeline and how long you can wait to move in or make it your personal residence? Not really, is there?
1: No, I don't think so. No.
0: You just accelerated the depreciation. You just got to be careful about when you sell it, if you sell it.
1: Yeah, you have a really low basis in that property,
0: and just remember that if, that if you live in it for two years and then sell it, and you take a capital gain exclusion, that capital capital gain exclusion does not touch your unrecaptured depreciation or your recaptured depreciation.
1: Yeah, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whatever we call, we just <laughs> had that <laughs> argument last
0: week. You, your recapture, you're going to have a, you're going to have. It's not going to affect your recapture. Uh, the, per, the per diem meal for 2020. Are there any limitations on the number of days? No. Mm-mm. All right, follow us on social media. You got Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Please uh, plug in, and uh, we're constantly putting out new information. If you go into the YouTube, for example, you're gonna see Coffee with Carl and Tony Talks and a lot of stuff from Clint, a lot of stuff from me. I uh, You can do all that fun stuff and you're constantly gonna get hit. And then you'll be old hand at this and everybody's gonna be asking you tax questions and business questions in about two or three years. All your friends will be like, all right, what should I do in this situation? And then you're gonna say, I don't wanna talk to you. Call these guys. No, I'm just teasing. You guys will be an answer at all. It's not rocket science. This is not the hardest stuff on the planet. This is actually, once you see it, it starts to make sense. I haven't done taxes for 2020, and I'd like to know how to write mm-hmm. off bills for my emotional support Out Can that be done together with business taxes? What say you, Jeff?
1: That's a maybe. And it's going to really depend on what IRS and the courts have primarily looked at. There's, there's two primary tests you have. That's the primarily for test and the but for test.
0: That is really good that you remember that.
1: The primarily for test says that this, these expenses for any kind of medical expense is primarily for to deal with a condition, medical, psychiatric, mental, so forth.
0: Either correcting a, uh, something or treating something. It can't be for, I'm sad, right? It has to be a medical condition. Yes. So, so there needs to be a diagnosis. Let's say it's depression and then it's primary for the depression, right?
1: The second test, the but for test is I would not have bought this. I would not have spent this money, but for this condition. Correct. So you can't take your pet dog and turn it into an emotional support dog. It's gonna fail every time. So there, there are a few ways to go about this number one, get it prescribed by your doctor. Number two, hopefully this animal and what it's how it's treating you is on the ADA list,
0: the Americans with Disabilities Act list. If it's prescribed, you're probably going to be hitting that.
1: Yeah. And the courts are going to want to know what this animal is doing for you. It's just living with you is usually not the answer. It's either got to be treating something. It's it, it's gotta be trained to do something in particular.
0: It needs to actually be a certified animal, like, right. right? So you actually have to make it, it has to be, when you say emotional support animal, some places would give you a certificate if you just said, oh, it's an emotional support animal, but it's the IRS is actually gonna want a certification that it was trained for this particular issue that it's helping you with. So for example, if it's a post-traumatic stress disorder and you were a, a, a service member or somebody that was a, a first responder and there's issues, then the emotional support animal needs to be trained for that particular reason. And that the reason that you're getting the support animal is because of that condition. But for this condition, I wouldn't be getting the the support animal. And then it becomes a medical expense. And the reason this is important is because if I'm an individual, I'm putting that medical expense on my Schedule A, Mm -hmm. and I have to exceed over 7.5% of my adjusted gross income. If I have a C corporation, I can reimburse. Or if I have a FSA or HSA health savings account, then I can reimburse directly out of that. So some of you guys, I know this is the scenario because I've seen this. Somebody goes out and they're paying for something individually. It's a medical expense, but they can't write it off because they don't exceed their adjusted gross income. Whereas they might've been able to do it if they had done an HSA, take the deduction and then reimburse yourself out of the HSA or, or, or uh, uh, flexible savings.
1: So like these the CNI dogs, they're mm-hmm. professionally trained. I think they cost about 50,000. Mm-hmm. That's a big write-off for you. You're going to be guaranteed schedule, eight, but there's nothing that says you can't self-train these animals to do what you need them to do. Whether it's, I've seen them for preventing uh, certain behaviors and things epilepsy.
0: Like that. There's one, there's uh obviously depression and uh, PTSD, they'll they will understand when you start. It's like a pheromone or something. They can actually mm-hmm. sense it or smell it.
1: So yeah, if you're doing the training yourself, your costs are likely to be much lower. I, I still think you want to do it through some kind of certification program mm-hmm. just to help you out. Emotional support animals, unfortunately, have gotten a very bad name by some very bad actors
0: who just, who just
1: want to take their poodle into the Diner. Well, that,
0: that's what some of the states said, is that they couldn't ask you whether it's an emotional support animal. And so people were abusing it left and right because you weren't allowed to question them because in theory there's HIPAA and there's some other things about what they can ask you about. And so they would say, hey, like an airline can't ask you. So then eventually they just said, only dogs, right?
1: Friend of mine is a flight attendant and showed me pictures of
0: somebody using <laughs> emotional support chickens. Yeah, I was gonna say, I've, I've heard about stuff like that, What they had a goose and they had chickens and, But yeah, (laughs) it's obvious
1: that that these emotional support animals, true emotional support animals are very helpful to people who need them just to get through their day. And if you do it the right way, you can get a deduction for them. Yep.
0: And so you you want to be talking to your your accountant. And so going back to this question, you could still look and see what you did in 2020 on the emotional support animal C. And I, I believe it has to be a, it says animal, but I believe it has to be a dog. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that there might be some restrictions on certain things. It's like, Mm -hmm. again, they don't want it to be your emotional support cat.
1: There was an emotional support cat that case that went through.
0: Really? Yeah. It's another fun one where, uh, again, talk to your accountant and it might be worth digging into depending on the cost, how much you incurred.
1: But you have cats, you know, they really don't care about people.
0: If you want emotional support, don't get a cat. (laughs) If you want to be ignored, (laughs) yeah. And I'm,
1: I, I'm only going to pay attention when you don't want me to <laughs> yeah
0: unless you have friends over or if you have a zoom meeting in which case that's a good time for them to groom themselves <laughs> in full view of everybody you're like look at me <laughs> that's a cat or if they have a hairball they always wait until you're <laughs> eating dinner or you're about to go to bed <laughs> i love my kitties they're just naughty as i get out and they are fluffy right now. All right, uh, let me see if there's any other questions. How can you claim the solar panel credit as a landlord? You're gonna write it off as, a, as an equipment deduction, but you're gonna take the the solar credit. I don't know if there's an actual form that you have to do as a, as a landlord. I'm trying to think of where you put it on your return.
1: There is a form for the credit. And of course, the depreciation is gonna go on the depreciation mm-hmm. form. But I would think the most difficult thing with the landlord is just the accounting for it on their books. Yep. Gets a little weird.
0: And just remember, you can't write off, like the, the installation, everything that goes into it, you get to deduct, but you have to subtract from your, your basis that you're deducting half of the credit that you take. So they're gonna look at the tax credit, and if it's, let's say it's $20,000, you're, you're gonna have to take $10,000 off, uh, off the basis. All right, enough of that. Subscribe to Anderson's YouTube channel, please. Go again, there's Coffee with Carl, there's Clint looking all stately, giving out good advice. There's just so much stuff that's out there. And if you like listening to the Tax Tuesdays or watching the Tax Tuesday, by all means, you can go to our podcast and we record them and we put them out there as well as a bunch of others. I've had some really cool folks on the podcast, by the way. On two different occasions, I've had some great uh, wholesalers that are in the seven figure plus a year range that are really doing a good job at it. And I just think it's kind of fun. I also had a good one that I would ask you guys to go take a look at. I had a, a friend of mine, Lars Jacobson, who is up on the border between uh, Idaho and Canada, where they shut down the the Canadian border. And he runs a restaurant, a gas station, and a mail stop that is primarily serviced. The patrons are primarily from Canada. About ninety five percent of the folks are right there. Like it's like the town has a has the the border, right in the middle of it. Here's all of his restaurants and all these things, and then on the other side of it is all the, the town. And since the uh, pandemic, they've been shut down, and so he's lost ninety five percent of his uh, revenue. Did a uh, did a podcast there. There's been some new stations that have come out and talked because the the programs that were designed by Congress haven't haven't really done much for him. And so uh, if if you're interested, there's t- ten. 10 members of the family all working up there. He moved his entire family from California years ago to go basically see this vision of brought his mom and his relatives and all of his kids. And they're up there and they're running this. It's, it's basically they bought this little town for, for lack of a better word, right on the border. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of folks that have been hit by this pandemic, but I did a really neat one there. If you, if you care to go look at that uh, and if you're able to spare a dollar or two to, to help him out and his family. They've been really, it's really been tough for them, but I'm sure they'll make it. They have good faith too. You can also go in and uh, listen to the previous Tax Tuesdays in your Platinum portal if you're already Platinum. If you're not Platinum, by all means, find out how you become Platinum. Uh, we have a ton of different programs uh, to where there's ordinarily a sign-up fee, and depending on the program you do, you can get away from those signup fees if you're getting other services. So you could always look and see whether or not that's appropriate. If you have questions, and uh, again, you can always submit your questions at, tax Tuesday at advisors.com There's not a cost to it. We don't have a surprise bill for you. And we do grab those questions and make them part of our our, our, uh, our shows when we go over and we answer those questions. So that's why I always grab them. So I always enjoy really good, thoughtful questions. Don't write me a, a novel, but something that we could put up as a simple question of one or two liners that will help other people. So even if it's something that you're like, I've always been wondering this, go ahead and submit it. And uh, we'll see if we can answer it for everybody. Uh, we may as well get uh, 700 at a shot. You know, there's a few thousand people that listen to this. So we can answer it for a lot of other people. Because chances are, if you're thinking it, other people are probably thinking of it too. Otherwise that's it. We're done early. Wow. Not necessarily early, early, but look at this. Patty's always yelling at me. I'm
1: not gonna know what to do.
0: I know. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks. All right, guys. uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to turn off the uh, Tax Tuesday with the exception of if you have questions, our guys will continue to bust through your questions. I can see that we've answered over 116 questions. There's 15 remaining open. So we'll go ahead and knock those out. I just want to say thanks, guys, for joining us. And we will see you in two weeks at the next Tax Tuesday. Until next time. Until next time. That's right.